Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from the Complete Picture Book Submission System. You have one chance to make an impression with an agent or editor with your picture book submission. The Complete Picture Book Submissions System will help ensure yours stands out above the rest. Created by New York Times bestselling author Emma Walton Hamilton and 12 by 12 Picture Book Challenge founder Julie Headland. The Complete Picture Book Submission System provides an easy-to-follow, step-by-step, foolproof process for every aspect of crafting submissions. No more fear. No more guesswork. No more reinventing the wheel each time you submit a new manuscript. To get their seven-step submission checklist, visit picturebooksubmissions.com today. That's picturebooksubmissions.com. Yeah, there, there are definitely times where I think about, you know, what what would it have been like if I had stayed in the U.S.? Um, I mean, my career is 100% over there. I don't do anything here work-wise, um, which can be tough. You know, it can be, it can be pretty lonely um, not having a sort of uh, community of, of artists around me that, that I'm working with. Our pact had two simple rules. Rule one, no one turns for home. Rule two, no one looks back. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 578. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm joined by Ryan Andrews, the cartoonist behind the graphic novel, This Was Our Pact. This Was Our Pact is about a band of friends determined to see where the lanterns end up after being sent down the river by the folks in their town as part of the Equinox Festival. There's a legend that they turn into stars, but no one has ever actually followed them to see. Where the river and these lanterns lead Ben and Nathaniel is beyond anything you could ever dream. I found Ryan's story to be moving and wondrous and beautiful. It's by far one of the best graphic novels I've ever read, both in its fantastical story arc and also in Ryan's command of color in telling the story. In short, I cannot wait for you and for all readers to experience this story. Please welcome my guest, Ryan Andrews, cartoonist of This Was Our Pact. Hi, my name is uh, Ryan Andrews. My pronouns are he, him, his. I live in the countryside of Japan with my wife and my two kids and our dog and some chickens. 
and I'm the author and illustrator of the graphic novel This Was Our Pact, published by First Second Books. Ryan Andrews, your graphic novel This Was Our Pact was maybe hands down my favorite comic or favorite thing I read last year. I can't even tell you, and I tried really hard not to tell you off recording because I was (laughs) like, this is going to be really silly if we have to say this twice. And I feel super sheepish about it, but I, um, yours is one that I've talked relentlessly with my book friends about because, because it's, it's just so exactly a book written for for the reader that I am. And that makes me know that any other kid or adult that picks this up and connects us with, with this book, like, oh, we're the same kind of reader. That's so cool. <laughs> it's scratching a lot of itches that are just so wonderful from, like, I don't know, love of Miyazaki films to the never-ending story to, I mean, I don't know, all the things. I take it we're probably about the same age and probably cut our teeth on about the same kind of things. But the fact that your life experiences have expressed themselves (laughs) through this story (laughs) is rad to me. (laughs) I'm sure we could uh, quote never-ending story from beginning to end. (laughs) That would be delightful. <laughs> but we should really focus more on your graphic novel. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. I um I I love that that your book has a voice through color as well as through your illustration. I like that it's a story about going and not turning back and sort of how absurd that notion is. But how stubborn of will you need to be to accomplish that, how committed to goal and just what it means to stick to something. And I love how it speaks to the things we celebrate look the same and different in other places around the world. I'll leave it maybe that broad for now. But I think probably the most suitable thing I can do is just to ask you to introduce This Was Our Pact to folks that haven't read it yet. How do you book talk it? Uh, That's a tough one. Okay. Um, (laughs) Kids on bikes and fictionalized creatures. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Uh, (laughs) Okay. So This Was Our Pact opens on a mountain town during the annual autumn equinox festival and the main event of this festival is where everyone gets together in the late evening to float paper lanterns down the river and legend has it that once the lanterns float out of sight they then fly up into the milky way to become new stars in the night sky and this year Uh, A group of kids from school decide to follow the lanterns on their bikes to see if the legend is really true. And to make it official, they form a pact with two very simple rules. Rule one, no one turns for home. And rule two, no one looks back. And I'd say that that pretty much sums it up. I I think, I I, I love 
I love how that sums up the book, but also just like eh, the first 15 pages. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> because when I read, well, I'll have to say when I, when I received the arc of this book way back when, probably in the summer, because it, it was a summer release, right? I think it was a summer release. Um, yeah, it was released in June. In June, my, yeah. My goal was, was autumn of 2016, and then it took a lot longer than I thought it would, and it came out in June of 2019. Whoa. Your your goal was yeah. seen three I started years this, later. I started this in 2013. And to be fair, we're talking about like 300 and... I don't know, 20 something fully colored, beautiful pages. <laughs> not like, yeah. not like simple line work in a single color. Um, this is a pretty, this is a pretty solid piece of work here. But when you say you started in 2013, what, what does it look like to start on at least this particular story for you? So this book actually started out as a 70 page short story that I was commissioned to do for a, um, a Kickstarter, um, ebook of various comics. They basically said uh, a buddy of mine, Ryan Estrada, who's also a cartoonist, um, emailed me saying, Hey, I want to do this thing. I want you to write whatever story you want to write and I'll put it into this collection. And so, um, I had three months to do it and I was originally going to, make a um take a single chapter from an an old japanese book called uh night on the galactic railroad um which i don't think there's an english translation for um in book form but there is a wonderful uh anime an animated film of it uh that was done in the 80s where they turned all the characters into cats and it's it's wonderful if you have the time watch it and you'll you'll know uh, <laughs> what I was very much into when I was a kid. It's very slow, but it's very weird, and I love it, and I recommend it. So I was going to do a, an adaptation of that. and then, um, But it's a story where these kids, they ride a train through, through the galaxy, and I realized that I'd have to draw all these pages of these kids in this train, and I just didn't think I could do it. So... I thought, okay, well, I'll kind of take the idea of these kids going on this adventure, um, but instead of being on a train, I'll, I'll have them ride bicycles, and um, which I also didn't know how to draw, but now I do. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of where it started, but it was, it was very short. It was basically, um, it was the first two chapters of this book and the final chapter. Oh. And um, so... First, second books, they saw the short story and said, we really like this. We want to publish it, but it's, it's, too, it's too short. Can you expand upon it? And so I thought, oh, this is a chance for me to make this an even grander adventure. And so um, I added about 240 pages to it in the middle. I tried to keep the beginning and the end about the same, but it, little things changed here and there. So you originally really just centered on Nathaniel, Ben, and the Fisher Bear. Yeah, um, pretty much, and I, without without spoiling anything, uh, as soon as they ride, the bear jumps on their bikes and they ride down the hill, yeah. it then just goes right to the end of the book. 
Oh, that's so interesting to be able to read it that way. Nice. Yeah. Well, if you want to read the short story, just read the first and you second. Could, and you can sort of do chapter. that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the the voice of <laughs> of the Fisher Bear is so confident and lovely, especially against against the other two boys. It's so it's such a nice mix. But I find that that you do this throughout this story. You keep. Um, inviting characters into the lives and experiences of these boys that will force them to move forward in some way by pushing them in some way out of their comfort zone or, or in, into circumstances that they need to get out of, which mm. is just, I, I suppose the way that compelling stories work. But when you speak of it, in comparison to Night on the Galactic Railroad, I- I'm I'm brought to this um, metaphor that a friend once told me that those folks in our lives um, are like passengers on a railroad train, that our life is going on this journey and folks will come on and off of this train at various times and they might stay longer sometimes than other guests, but, but all of those folks that join you on that on that journey, they're all important and they're all invaluable in moving your journey forward. It's as if your train can't go forward without these folks joining you on that journey for different points of time. And thinking about the way your characters' roles are, those tertiary characters in this story, um, in helping to compel our characters forward, I think is, is quite like that trip on a train with much fewer cats. oh i agree completely that's um that's a wonderful way to put it you have got (laughs) there's so much to talk about here i can't believe all of the middle is new that is wild (laughs) oh my word and when you get to when you get to the map maker where you get this sudden i should say for those that haven't experienced your book i feel like the main color of your story, the color story of your book is like these blues and grays because primarily the story takes place at night. We're centering mm-hmm. around these stars. But as you traverse the world, you're almost chasing nighttime anyway. That sort of works that way, doesn't it? Mm. Um, but you have this moment, this... Uh, uh, I won't give anything away, but... If you, if drawing from the influences of, of anime and of, um, of movies with big fantastic, monstery creatures, not unlike what Luke Pearson does in his Hilda books, um, to have this terrarium that I'll just leave at the word terrarium, <laughs> where suddenly we are awash in this putrid green color (laughs) is something that I think really draws attention to the way you are using color to tell a story. Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling and unlock your creative potential 
with a team of story coaches and published professionals helping you achieve your creative goals. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. So, oh, well, thank you. So I've heard I, how you, you, you have these stories that sit with you for this long, but I, I would love to hear, going back perhaps as far as we need to, but where drawing and color became part of your language of storytelling. Hmm. I mean, I like like probably anybody I drew all the time as a kid, but, um, unlike most people, I just never stopped. Um, but I actually didn't, I drew, I drew comics when I was a kid and I, I had the idea of, of, uh, using my drawings to tell stories, but somewhere along the way I decided, uh, that I wanted to go into animation instead. And, um, and then my life took me down all sorts of paths where I eventually decided I wanted to be a farmer in Japan, um, but ultimately came back to um, my first love of drawing. And so I started drawing comics when I was like, really drawing them, um, 28, I think. Um, but I, I never had any confidence in color. And so all of my original comics were in black and white. Um, you can actually, you can see all of them. They're, they're on my website for free. Um, they, I, I would use little hints of color here and there, but mostly just one color, like red or, or pink. Hmm. Um, I, should, I should add, if, if you want your kids to read them maybe read them first and decide if if you're okay with your kids reading them <laughs> they're not adult in nature but they're they're they weren't written for kids they weren't written with kids in mind so just I'm been warned. Warned. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay it's nothing horrible but you no. know everyone has their their different things that they you know wouldn't want their kids to see so um maybe read them first uh but with this was our pact the original short story was in black and white. And so um, for a second, my editor at First Second, Callista, said, we can do it in black and white if you want, but I think that this book should be in color. And so we want you to just give it a shot, color some pages in, see how it looks. And having really no experience with color, because I had done everything in black and white up to this point, I had to figure out, okay, how can I how can I do hundreds of pages in color having not used it before in my drawings? Um, doing these realistic colors just wasn't going to happen. It would have taken me a decade to do this book. So I went back to um, an inspiration of mine from a, when I was a kid. Did you read Nintendo Power when you were a kid? Oh, that was actually... I. I... I've shared before, Ryan, about feeling like I hit this point in my life where I just wasn't a reader. Once I could read independently picture books, I just stopped reading and my parents weren't models of reading. Mm. But it, it took me it took me really being in undergrad 
to realize that I was reading all along because I was reading my Nintendo Power magazines. Oh, so, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, yay. Thank you for the Nintendo Power shout out. I appreciate that yeah. nostalgia connection. <laughs> <laughs> so they had these comics in there, right? And of one did. of the comics yeah. was Zelda. And the artist who drew Zelda did these, um, used color, but like Link, the, the main character would be one solid color like he would be orange but the background would be a blue color or something <clears throat> so thinking remembering that comic um i i thought okay maybe i can do something like that if i just use very limited colors um and occasionally have a have a character be just one solid color and not really worry about like oh wait what color was what color was that shirt that he was wearing? Let me go back and what color would that shirt look like if it was in a dark room and or versus you know in a bright room? So just kind of use these washes of color to to tell the story. Um, that was sort of the initial thought process behind doing this. I wanted every chapter to kind of have its own feel. So like the first chapter is that blue color, and then as you move into the second chapter, it sort of shifts into a purple and kind of a gold. Um, and I hope it sounds like that worked. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you noticed that. I happen to have like a real draw for color. And I, I think that if I, if I follow it back to maybe, maybe influences as early as like, I don't know, Mary Blair from watching like Disney cartoons or something. Oh yeah. Um, there, there must be just something about interesting color stories that still, um, really speaks to me. I notice them in a way that, that it resonates deeply. I feel like some of the color choices you make, um, are you familiar with the picture book author, illustrator, Chris Houghton? There's a number of wonderful books like, shh, we have a plan. Anyway, this 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 individual. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I have that book. There you yeah. go. Well, he's another individual that I feel like has this this sense of of color, um, mm -hmm. like color theory that it doesn't seem like if you take the colors apart, if you were to grab them out of like a a, a massive crayon box, the colors don't seem like they should work together, but they end up working really harmoniously together on the page. And you do a lot of that in your book, I noticed, that that um, when you're playing around in, if I flip to, I'm, literally as you're talking, I'm flipping to random pages and looking at your color story shift throughout the entire book, and it's gorgeous. But like, um, you, you've got um, these like indigos and purples working alongside pinks and blacks. You've got, um, if I flip it, the the greens that I was talking about in the terrarium, the greens with like weird sickly yellows and and rusty browns, they just the colors really fit together, and it's it's more uh, as I said before, I think it's more of the color as as a character as 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 an element of the story, um, as a as a method of evoking mood. Uh, of communicating we're fine now or things are intense and we should not go down those stairs or um, <laughs> there's sort of a certain amount of wonder um, to to behold in these moments. I, I almost feel like the the cover alone is maybe the most 
I don't know what you would call like quote unquote accurate color depiction. Everything else is awash in these wonderful uh, mood scene lightings that that tell the story. Yeah, now that you now that you mentioned that, I um, I'm glad that I saved the cover for last because. Um, hold on, I have to use that that's that amazing uh, throat spray again. Marking time, go do your throat. <laughs> yeah, hold thing. on, hold on. <laughs> I could feel my voice fading. Um, see, I I did the cover last, which is usually the case, but I'm I'm glad that we saved it for last because. When, or I should say, I, I'm glad that I I did the comic without really knowing how to use color because after doing 300 some odd pages of color, something started to finally click. I was also studying a lot. I would try to figure out, okay, how how do I make this work? And so I would look up, you know, watch color theory videos on YouTube and um, try and study how other artists use color so that I could implement that. So. By the time it came time to do the cover, I was much more confident with the color. And so I, I think that if I had known everything that I know about color now, which is still just scraping the bottom of the barrel, um, the the color of the book would have been completely different. Hmm. And so it's sort of a happy accident that it ended up the way it did. Because um, I actually have gone back. I won't, I'm not going to change the book, but... As, as one does when you look at something you did a long time ago, you think, oh, I could do so much better than that now. So I've, I've gone back and I've recolored certain parts of the book just to kind of see how I would do it now. And um, while I'm personally happier w- with the newer results, I'm, I'm glad that it is the way that it is because, because you're right. It does sort of give a – it tells a story with the color, with the the – the openings being very blue and then switching to these, you know, chapters where the whole thing is gray and then a chapter where the whole thing is sort of a pink and red. And, yeah. um, and then eventually going back to that blue color, I think it sort of ties the whole thing in together. So, um, when we get to the moments where we're more directly speaking of stars, um, the, the brightness that's given to the stars and the way that the colors really sort of fade down. We have some dark blues and black and then the brightness of the stars. I think that, that again, you're just, you're, 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 I think this book is exactly the way it's meant to be. And as a reader who, who now finds ownership in this book, because I love it. Um, and I've read it several times and I've, given it to my nine-year-old and he's loved it i feel like it's it's neat that it was made the way it was because of you learning and exploring color because it was a 70 page book that you didn't just add on to you 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 know quadrupled in length um it was uh, all of sort of the right things happening the way that they were meant to. And then the next book you're working on, Ryan can have whatever influence of what you've learned already. That's what the journey is all about, right? 
you're like living out what Nathaniel and Ben go through in the book. <laughs> you're different from the way you started out. And that doesn't mean that you were mm-hmm. broken when you started out. It means that you're different when you ended up. And that's all right. I think that um, what I want to ask is, is when you were thinking of this story, when when it was 70 pages, when you could do whatever you wanted, and, and when Fisher Bear, with, this bear with this gigantic basket on his back, and this confidence that doesn't quit, um, uh, when you were starting out there, I would love to know a little bit about how the story went forward, how you took this world that we know and made it a world inhabited by, by such imaginative and wonderful creatures and, and universes um, that felt like they, they, they felt like you were speaking so much truth into them that they just might actually be true of the world we know now. I I wonder what it, it what it meant for you to tap into that sense of curiosity or fantasy or whatever you want to call it when you were writing this story. What what itches were you scratching when you were writing this? There's there's something that you said that that I'm I'm so happy you noticed and it was that there's all these different cultures in the book. And they all have their own way of celebrating things. Um, growing up in in the U.S. in a as a small child um, in a predominantly uh, a white neighborhood, I wasn't exposed to a lot of different cultures. Um, it wasn't until moving up to San Francisco area uh, later on in life that I started seeing that oh, there's all these different ways of living. And there's different ways of thinking. And then ultimately coming to Japan and really seeing, you know, being in a completely different world um, and seeing the way that the Japanese culture looks at the same things that, that uh, we were, I was looking at in the U.S. Um, the different ways things are celebrated, the different ways New Year's is celebrated, the, the spring equinox. Um, I just, last night, uh, we celebrate the the first day of spring um, on the Chinese calendar, which was yesterday, and uh, even though it's still cold, it's it's technically the first day of spring uh, according to the Chinese calendar. And so here, we put on masks. Um, the parents put on these ogre masks, the oni. It's called an oni. It's basically an ogre, and they charge into the room, and the kids will throw beans at the onis. Uh, to chase them out of the house. And, and in, in Japanese, they say, which means like, get out of here, ogre, and, and come into my house, good fortune. We want, we want good things in this house. Get out of here, bad things. And that's something that I didn't experience as a kid. Of course not. But coming here and, and experiencing that and seeing that, oh, there's just all these, these beautiful ways of celebrating the same thing. Um, none of them... None of them are, are necessarily uh, are, are better than any of the other ways. And I think that that's something that I tried to show in this book is that here's this autumn equinox. Here's an event where these lanterns are, are going down this street. And the kids, the kids, they see it this one way. But 
the bear is looking at the exact same event, but sees it in a completely different way. Um, and then you have the uh, Madame Majestic and, and the, the witch and well, <laughs> the potion maker, uh, where she's she's got her own thing going. You know, yeah, the, it's it's the coming harvest for the, the autumn equinox. And they have their own way of celebrating that. And I wanted to I wanted to convey that in a way that hopefully wasn't beating the reader over the head with it. And I I, I don't think I did because you're the first one. You're the first person who's mentioned that. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm really happy that you noticed that. I I think that it's not obvious. It's just something we notice when we notice other people mm-hmm. when we listen to other people but i noticed that you say this line you just said it's um these beautiful ways of celebrating the same thing and it reminded me immediately that that this is also a story of two boys who want and need the same thing mm-hmm. but neither quite know how to go about getting it that they they really want I, from my reading, they really want companionship. They really want mm. a friend that can be a friend that we can have close and love in a in a caring way without judgment or fear. And I see that in Ben and Nathaniel, and I see that in their journey and in the, the loosening up of the universe, of their universe, as they as they go through this story. Um, the making space for one another, but also finding a space to step into each other's worlds. Ryan, you've really written something that that is beautiful and profound and offers something new with each reading, and I can't even imagine what it feels like to be a different kid reading this book and what they must experience. But I will tell you, that is something that I value so much about what it means to be able to have this book in my library and to see children every day because I get to have those experiences with them. And I truly hope that some of the things that readers say to me about books or about your book, I hope that that those messages from readers make it back to you because to have a, an idea that started way back in 2013 and to have a book become fully realized in 2019 and to be living on the other side of the world from your publisher and to be a kid who reads a book but doesn't necessarily know that there's a person behind that name on the cover. I sure do hope that that some of the, the ways that they love your comic and see themselves in your story and in your characters. I hope that they come back to you or if nothing else, that this conversation that I can be a vessel for them, for those, for for that love to come back to you. I hope I said that the right way. You did. Thank you. I, um, I feel like uh, as in many good conversations that we, we have a lot we can still talk about and it's best to leave those things not talked about so that it gives us an easy 
an easy opening for the next time you and I talk, because I, I have a feeling that that's, that's going to be something in our future. And I really appreciate that. But for now, Ryan, I want to give you an opportunity to speak directly to those readers, because so many of us that listen to this podcast do work directly with readers and do have the great, great privilege of putting a book in a child's hands. And so I want to ask you for your words so that we can also give them your words. So Ryan, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? I would say, don't be afraid to set off on an adventure. Just make sure you bring a good book along. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 550 episodes at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.